Um, that's not to say that the build up to a race um, and the training specif specificity is, isn't important, but it, it's kind of just, it's the icing on top. Um, the, the real heart of your training is that accumulation uh, over years of, of miles and, and experience. Uh, so, so physically speaking, uh, just consistency over a, a long period of time, I'd, I'd say is the most important because again, you're, you're not going to go out there and do a 268 mile training run. But the, the part that I would say is valuable to prepare yourself for is, is the mental aspect and, and putting the, yourself in those situations where, uh, you, you want to quit everything that's telling you to quit and you you find that you're able to push on and and you know that even in your lowest lows uh it's it's not necessarily going to get better and and you're going to be able to bounce back um and and to just keep moving forward that my friend was john kelly and this is inspirational runners podcast Hey everyone, how's everyone doing this week? My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. We've had another epic episode with this year's winner of the Montaigne Spine Race, John Kelly. Most know him as the last person to complete the infamous Barkley Marathon, which has had only 15 finishes in the last 30 years. He's a sub nine hour Ironman. He's ran a 235 marathon on the streets of New York. And in this episode, we break down both his spine adventure and the Grand Rhine, where John attempts to complete the Paddy Buckley, cycle the 105 miles to the Bob Graham, and then continue to cycle the 235 miles and then complete the Charlie Ramsey, which is a mind-bending concept. Before we start, I'd just like to give a quick mention to the sponsors of this episode. We run Wild Northern Ireland. They have an epic trilogy coming up. Part one is on the 8th of March. It's a trail marathon, it's 50k, it goes from Glenarm Castle to Carrick Castle. The second part of the trilogy is on the 23rd of August and it goes from Belfast Castle to Carrick. And then we have the third part of the trilogy which is on the 7th of November which goes from Bangor Castle to Carrick Castle. Quite unique, they've got an epic bit of bling that sort of binds together as you do each part of the trilogies. Something totally different so why not give it a try. Without further delay, I bring you John Kelly. Some people might know John, but um, obviously you were the 15th person to finish the Barclay. We'll not go into that today, but there is one question. Um, I'm doing the Barclay Classic this year. Is it this year? Okay. Yep. So we're in January, which is pretty cool. Um, I can't talk to John Kelly without asking you what it was like to sit in that chair at the end of the fifth loop. <laughs> it was uh, It was a big relief. It was... Uh... You know, was finally just able to not uh, press my mind anymore to get to the finish. So I mean, that that was that was the biggest thing. I, I could finally just relax and and let my my mind drift from that singular focus of uh, getting back to the gate to finish. I suppose as well as that, because um, it's such a big goal. I suppose it's good to be able to accomplish that and let that go as well, so you can focus on other things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that had been my, my big goal for, well, for, for quite a while, but it's, it, it was one that I had been attempting for, uh, that, that was, that was my third try. Uh, so to be able to shift my focus to something else to choose a new goal was, was pretty huge. And it, 
that, that's a bit of a double-edged sword. It was uh, good to be able to move on, but at the same time, I, I, I kind of drifted for a little while, not knowing what I could move on to that would really uh, motivate me as, as much as uh, Barkley had. Yeah, do you think you've found that since then? Yeah, there there are a few things, you, you know, but Barkley was um, so personally meaningful to me having uh, such deep family ties to that land. I mean, my, my family's been on a farm there right next to the course for, for 200 years now. Yeah. Um, so that was very uh, deep meaning for me. Um, but, but since then, I've, I've found a couple of things that have uh, really kind of brought that same same sort of spark back um what one being what i attempted last year with uh connecting the the three classic fell running rounds here um and, and and falling just short on that but but finding afterwards uh that that same amount of, of passion to uh get it done yeah that, that's absolutely epic like we had nikki spinks on the podcast last week um so as you know nikki's done the double rounds all three mm-hmm. um so the grand round was the the Ramsey and the Paddy Buckley and the Bob Graham. Um, has that ever the grand round? Was that a thing? <laughs> or was that something you created um, yourself? No, I, I I made that up. I made the term <laughs> up myself. Um, so Mike Hartley, um, way back, I, I think, geez, now I feel like it was ninety one or something. Um, he did do all three of them consecutively uh driving in between them okay um so i i kind of came up with the idea and then did the research to, to find that he had already done it it was just something that uh you know moving here and, and wanting to be able to explore as much as possible and and combine my my passion of uh mountain running with my my love of of biking uh having just left the sport of triathlon it just seemed like an an awesome thing to try to do yeah cause you done like standing in the ironman as well like so when you went to kona i was looking at your splits on your um blog your blog's absolutely fantastic by the way it's the detail yeah, and the data you. um for anybody that hasn't seen it it's the random forest runner so definitely check that out a lot of information you obviously like like planning and you like breaking that down, but your splits in Kona on the bike were twenty four point four mile an hour, like that is phenomenal in those conditions at one hundred and twelve, over one hundred and twelve miles. So you're a sub nine hour, Ironman finisher as well. Yeah, yeah, a, a few times. Um, you, you know, I, I briefly went pro and just never could uh, get the swimming sorted. Uh, one of one of my proudest accomplishments actually is the uh the the slowest swim ever in a sub nine hour Ironman. so i i hold that dubious distinction yeah well, that, that stands by you then when it shows you you can pull that back because you actually i think it was in was it arizona ironman that you ran 254 in your marathon at the end of the ironman yeah and, that, and that, that's the one that was after uh swimming a, a 117 which is uh yeah, it's, it, it, I, I never, I think my fastest split ever was 103, which still is uh, setting me back from the front runners. But, but that one was slow enough that when I, I got out of the water, the pro athlete coordinator was, was visibly shocked. Um, <laughs> a, a pro coming to get their bike that way. 
That is class. And your running aspect, like you ran New York last year, it was two hours 35. Was that your PR? Yeah, so I, I did that at New York just about uh, two months ago. Do you think it's important to have that type of pace when you're going into these longer races? When you're competing, uh, competing in these longer races, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think that it, you definitely don't want to neglect it, as a lot of people do for ultras. They just all of their miles are long and, and slow. And, um, you know, when you're doing these types of distances, you're you're never going to be able to put up enough volume um, to, to match the race length. You know, I wasn't going to go out on 268-mile training runs uh, for the spine. Yeah. Uh, you've got to be able to put some intensity in there um, to, to keep up your, your running economy and, and your lactate threshold. Uh, and that, that allows you to, to go longer uh, without really crossing those thresholds and, and stay uh, in, a, in a more relaxed state. Yeah. Do you think the triathlon has, has brought a lot of that into your... Because the tri guys love the data, don't they? They love... <laughs> They love their kit, they love their data, um, and they do have a tendency to break it down. A lot of ultra runners just like, it seems to be quite the opposite, you know, um, the stereotype sort of ultra runner to a, uh, a Conor Ironman. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, so, I, you know, my my day job is as a data scientist, so that's, that's really where I get my, my analytical chops from. Uh, okay. But the uh, yeah, the, the two approaches can, can differ quite a bit. And uh, I, I like to think that I've, I've learned a, a decent amount from, from both of them. So coming back to the ground round then, I just wanted to paint a little picture of your background because some people, um, a lot of people know about the Barkey, obviously, but they don't know about your running skills and your triathlon um, accomplishments. And um, you also did hold the world record at one stage as well, didn't you, for the fastest marathon run as a gaming character. Is that right? Yeah, that, right? as, as, far, as far as I know, um, I still have that. I, I haven't been notified that I lost it, but I, you know, I, I also haven't checked the the Guinness website recently. But uh, I did that at, at Boston a few years ago. What character was that? Uh, it was Link from uh, the Zelda video game yeah, series. Yeah. <laughs> and that was uh, that was just two weeks after Barkley that year. Yeah. So I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, setting a personal best or anything. So I just thought, what can I do that would be fun and still kind of give me a challenge, some something to shoot for. Uh, so it was a, uh, it was good fun. Yeah, it was a good mass. I done the same myself, but um, I ran like four hours twenty in my costume. Like it wasn't happening. So you managed to get just a sub three. <laughs> um, so. The Grand Round, and I'm really interested in that. We have a, a local round here called the Dennis Rankin Round in Northern Ireland in the Moor Mountains. Yeah. Um, I challenged Damien Hall, who's on the podcast, to do a double that nobody's ever done, and I challenged Nicky, so, John, <laughs> this could be your opportunity. Somebody's going to take it up. Um, but the Grand Rounds, I'm absolutely... F they can do the double. I'll just have to swim over there and connect <laughs> yeah that would be something you would do all right um so the the grand range just to put it in concept like the the paddy buckley um you started there it's one of the more difficult rounds and your intent really was to do the paddy buckley then swim sorry 
to ride <laughs> <laughs> ride Eglin to do the Bob Graham and then ride all the way up to Scotland then to do the Charlie Ramsey. I pause there because I almost don't know what to say after even pronouncing those words. But you must have got a lot of confidence from the Barclay, you know, or like what drove you there? And like you had such a high confidence going into that. Well, I, I mean, I, I guess that depends on your definition of confidence. I was uh, quite petrified of it in, in terms of whether I would be able to actually complete it or not. Um, you know, I was confident that I was going to go out there and, and give a good go of it and, and give it my best effort and, and put a solid dent in it. I, I, I was pretty confident that it was achievable but just not necessarily that, that I would be able to, to do it right off. And, and to me, that's the definition of a, of a good challenge, of a good goal. If you can uh, just do it right off on, on the first try, maybe it wasn't, wasn't too tough. So there, there's that aspect of it, of, of learning and uh, coming back with a better strategy, with, with better preparation and um, seeing how much you can improve. But I, I think also I, I had the benefit of just kind of when I've done a lot of these things, I've, I've jumped in uh, head, head first into the deep end. Um, you know, I signed up when I decided to do triathlon. I, I signed up for uh, for an Ironman was my first one I registered for um, when I went from like trail running and through hiking, I, I kind of went straight for Barclays, is my, my big goal. And, and so I, I moved over here to, to England and uh, thought I would give this a go. And it, it's almost, um, it, you know, the, uh, the benefit of, of naivety, of, of not necessarily knowing exactly what I was going to get myself into um, and, and being able to, um, approach it with the confidence based on, on things I've done before. And so you, you, you almost saw the opposite happen. The first person to ever finish the Barclay was, was Mark Williams, uh, from the UK and, and the race had been run for so long. And all these U S runners had just thought the finishing five loops was a joke. And, uh, then, then this guy comes over from the UK and no one told him it was a joke. So he just, uh, he went out and did it. That's class. Do you think it's all those little bits? It's almost like that wrong. Roger Bannister moment of breaking the four minute mile. You know, when you've seen people do that, um, it gives you the confidence then to go and challenge things yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and you know, I, I definitely, before I did this, I, I did a lot of research on, on the times and, um, what other people have done for the rounds. And I just, you know, there's, there's that data analytics coming through again. I, I did the math and kind of tried to factor in how much I would slow down doing them all at once and uh, figured, you know, if, 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 if people can do this on the individual sections, then, then I think I can piece this together in, in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. So like you start with a Paddy Buckley, you've done it in 23 hours and 14 minutes. It was fantastic. A lot of people don't even manage it to get round in the 24 hours. Um, the weather is such a tough thing when we're doing the rounds, it can be so hit and miss, can't it? Yeah, the uh, the weather is definitely something that I, I didn't factor in well enough um, and will be a big part of uh, improving on it. So, you know, I've, I've, I've obviously run in bad weather before, um, but 
it, it hasn't been that big of a factor. It, you know, to me, it's something that just, well, it's, it's rough, but if you can mentally push through it, then it's, it's not a huge deal. But a lot of those sections, um, particularly my last two legs on Patty Buckley, it's, it's just these, these boulder fields of slick rock um, all across these, these mm. peaks. And you, when it's raining and windy and wet, you, you can't run across that. You just absolutely can't unless you want to break your leg and crawl down the side of the mountain. Uh, so that, that really took a huge uh, chunk out of my time. So you just done the Paddy Buckley. Now you're going to get on the bike and go for a 175 mile um, cycle. And my last race was in Wales. And I remember my last endurance run, which was 75 miles. In the last 10 miles, me and my mate were going, this would be horrible on the bike. Because <laughs> <laughs> coming out of Wales, you know, Wales can be quite treacherous, the hills. Um, mm-hmm. And that must have played a major factor, getting off the Paddy Buckley round and getting onto your bike, a tri bike of all things which can be yep. tough at times climbing. Um, that must have been extremely challenging. Yeah, there were uh, some really, really rough climbs on that. And there was uh, there was one in particular uh, just on the border of Wales uh, that, you know, for the first time since I, can re- since I was a little kid, um, I, I, I got off and, and I just I walked the rest of the way up. That <laughs> I, I, was, I was looking down at my my speed and my power and i was putting out massive amounts of power to go like four or five miles an hour and i just thought you know i i can walk up this hill at three miles an hour and, and next to no effort uh so it's kind of one of it's like sprinting up a hill in an ultra it's just a waste um but the, the big thing on the bike uh the, the weather wasn't too horrible um on it the, the rain at least relented a bit but my my math completely failed me because uh, you know the early mentioned I, I I can do 112 miles in an Ironman and in around four and a half hours, so I figured you know, 175 doing that in like 10 hours should be absolutely you, you know a cakewalk. But I I wasn't factoring in having to go through all of these small towns and villages along the way and, and getting stuck in the um the, the traffic signals and the roundabouts and, and everything else so uh there there wasn't uh really a, a stretch where i could get into a good rhythm uh, and i, I think yeah. you know again time I'll, I'll try to plan a better route that's maybe a little longer uh but can hopefully avoid some of that you talked about the parameters there as well um because you're keeping in your mind that you don't want to be ex- expending too much energy because you've got another two rounds ahead of you. So that's always playing on your mind as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I was having to remind myself the entire time, like when I, I opted to walk up that hill, just, you know, this is just a, a basically I was trying to look at it as a 175 mile recovery ride um, before starting the next round, because the rounds is, is what I, uh, was really placing the focus on in, in terms of trying to get each of those in, in under 24 hours. You were, you did manage to arrive at the end of the 175 miles. Um, like that was the end of the second day, was it? Yeah. So it, it was at just just past uh, sunset. So um, I think it would have been around 10 or 11 o'clock at, at night, and then I slept for a few hours before uh, setting off for 
I know there's a few of my friends going over to do the Bob Graham um, this year and it's such a big thing. You know, if they were saying to me, yeah, we're going to do the Paddy mm. Buckley first and then we're going to cycle to the Bob Graham. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I would drive them to the hospital, to be honest, just to get checked out. But that's epic, <laughs> though. Um, but I get it, though. I love I love the journey and the adventure of that myself. One thing I missed there, sorry, was you had Damien Hall and the Paddy Buckley as well, didn't you? To help yeah, pace him. Um, he actually holds the course record, I believe, on that round. So that was great. It was, uh, he, he, he did that a, a few months after, uh, the grand round, he, he went out and did that. Uh, but I, I had a, amazing support, uh, the entire time, uh, on, on both rounds. And that was just, that was so incredible for me to see having just moved over here. And especially as my schedule slipped, um, for this, just, you know, people coming out of the woodwork who I, I didn't even know and had never talked to or met before and just kept coming out to, to help me. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Damien was actually coaching Jasmine Paris last year during the spine as well. Yeah. Um, it's all very linked, isn't it, John? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I got a, a good number of tips, uh, from, from Damien before the spine this year too. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So the Bob Graham range, you done it in, I think, it was just under 24 hours again, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it was like 23, 40-something, 40 42 maybe. What was the last hour of that like? So you you must have been pushing on to try and get under that 24 hours. Yeah, well, it the, the, the last leg was, was pretty rough. The sleep deprivation was really getting to me. Yeah. Um, you know, if I, if I hadn't have had people with me, I may have just fallen asleep leaning against the... Uh, the post that's on the last top uh, there. And and then the, the very end of it is, you know, you come down off the hills and, and you've basically got, you know, five miles or so just, just on tarmac. And so that was, uh, that was rough. And, uh, but at that point I, I knew that I had it. Um, and, and so it was uh, guys that were with me. I uh, kept trying to jog and uh, kind of, bring me along and I was just like nope nope we're good we're gonna we're gonna bring this in nice and easy um see if I can possibly um keep enough in the bank to to keep going on this thing yeah so when you finished that then you still you still did feel that you were going to give it a go at the end of that so you were willing to get onto the bike yeah I mean if it, finishing it up I, I it, to be honest, it was kind of doubtful in my head, but you, you never know um, what a what a little sweep can do for you. There there are a lot of highs and a lot of lows in these things. So um, I, I owed it to myself and to the people helping me um, to see what that sweep would do for me. Uh, so I, I got a few hours maybe um, of a fitful sweep with as much as my legs were aching, and. Uh, got suited up and got on my bike and uh, gave it a go. But I, I ended up not even making it out of the Lake District. It was just um, pretty clear um, pretty quickly that it just, uh, biking in that state up narrow Scottish mountain roads was, was not, not a good idea. Yeah, and we're talking now 235 miles to the next round. Like, so that in itself is a mammoth tax. So to do the Paddy Buckley cycle, 175 miles, then to do the Bob Graham round, 
um, with the idea of cycling 235 to the Ramsey, which in itself is a pain in, pain in the ass for a better word. <laughs> a ver- <laughs> very challenging rounds um, to try and take on. So you lasted, you saw it on you straight away, so there was no point really hammering through it, like just for the sake of that. But you never know how far you can go until you try. It really is that, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm better suited now for another attempt from uh, <clears throat> having given it a shot and failed than I would be if I had, you know, done done some sort of smaller, uh, easier things uh, starting out. So that, that's the main thing for me is, is what's the quickest path to the to the big goal. And oftentimes uh, it's by just going for it and, and failing uh, rather than, than taking these uh, smaller, easier steps. Yeah. Do you think that's something now that seed's been planted and similar to the Barclay, it would be hard to let go of that until... Or are you okay to let go of that? Uh, well, you, you know, I'll, 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 I'll give it my all. Um, you know, I, I feel like uh, the first time was uh, not my best effort just due to, uh, we'll, we'll say, non-optimal planning um, and, and preparation. But if, if I go back and, I, you know, I've kind of, optimize my plan and, and give it my best go and uh the weather isn't too absolutely horrendous um and i still come up short then th- then i know and, and and that's fine and you know that that's a big piece of barclay too that as 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 said before that the, the people who really get cheated at barclay are the people who finish because they're the ones that don't know how far they could have gone yeah, that's class now He's such a wise character, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Deep down inside, uh, he, he he certainly is. He he puts off the you know uh, mean, crazy old man uh, persona, but he uh, <laughs> he is very very clever. Yeah, he is indeed. So that brings us um, to your latest achievement, the Montaigne Spine Race. Now, I talked about Ian. I talked to Ian Keith about his kit breakdown going into the race. Um, he had just won, actually, UTMB Oman, and we did a podcast with him. And strangely, I felt drawn to the race after that. Like, you know, it was something in my head. There's No, that's just a crazy, mad thing to do. And then after talking to Damien Hall, I could feel that seed starting to grow, even though I wasn't watering it. But this year's event and the following online and the... The Spine Race crew done an amazing job on Facebook and it really built this momentum and how it's grown over a short period of time. Like that that seed for me is ready is ready to be harvested, <laughs> to be honest. Like yeah. um which worries me when I do these podcasts is like, but very similar to you with the ground round now. I'm gonna do whatever I can to register for that race. So initially why did you select the spine race it's it's one that had appealed to me um for quite a while even before i was knew i was moving to the uk um i've always had a, a bit of a thing for uh winter ultras and running in the cold and in the dark um 
So it had a natural appeal as, as well as something that I knew would, uh, again, challenge me right to my limits. Um, and, and then once I moved to the UK, of course, that was an opportunity to, to jump right on it and uh, additionally explore uh, a huge, uh, beautiful section of the country. Although, you know, two thirds of that exploration was done in the dark. Um, but, you know. Yeah, those things you can't plan. So one thing for me is what I don't know yet, because I'm early enough in my sort of ultra running career. Um, you know, I did CCC last year. I'm doing Lavaredo this year. In my mind, the spine isn't something um, that you can sort of just jump on. It's almost an accumulation of three or four years of, is it really something that's over two or three years of sort of building up momentum too? Or is it something that you can target over a six month period? Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely say um, the the more the accumulation over a number of years, and that's that's really what did it for me. To be honest, um, people ask me about my spine specific training, um, and uh, I mean, really leading up to the race, I, I had a rough stretch at work. My training wasn't all that good. Um, that's not to say the the build up to a race um, and the training specific specificity is, isn't important, but it, it's kind of just, it's the icing on top. Um, the, the real heart of your training is that accumulation uh, over years of, of miles and, and experience. Uh, so, so physically speaking, uh, just consistency over a, a long period of time, I'd, I'd say is the most important because again, you're, you're not going to go out there and do a 268 mile training run. But the, the part that I would say is valuable to prepare yourself for is, is the mental aspect and, and putting the, yourself in those situations where uh, you, you want to quit, everything is telling you to quit, and you you find that you're able to push on and, and you know that even in your lowest lows, uh, it's, it's not necessarily going to get better and, and you're going to be able to bounce back um, and, and to just keep moving forward and and that's really what it takes yeah what's that what expectations did you set yourself going into the race then were you thinking a course record first place or anything like that uh i was i was definitely out there um to to race and uh you know i i'm smart enough to know my body and and to know that um what its own limits are so i was uh, you know, early on feeling out my competition and, uh, I, I wasn't going to race for the win if it was, if it was going to destroy me. Um, but once I, I got that felt out, um, that was very much definitively, uh, the goal. And I, I raced from the front pretty much the whole time and, um, pushed from the front and, uh, forced others to, to challenge me. And that's, that's really the, the approach I took for this one. Um, the course record, if, you know, if I had gone into the last section of the race and it had been within reach and the win had been safely in hand, then, then yeah, I, I would have given it a go. Um, but at no point was I, you know, prioritizing that over just winning the race and I, and I wasn't going to jeopardize, um, 
that uh, and, and really it's, it's, it's a completely different strategy uh, racing versus going for a time and coming out of that last checkpoint um, really in, until about 12 miles left to go. Um, I, I was, I was very much racing uh, with, with Jason Cavill uh, hot on my heels. Yeah. Um, how did you feel then when he pulled out? Uh, so I, I didn't learn of that for sure and, until I reached the, uh, the mountain rescue hut um, with about seven miles to go. Um, right, okay. So it was, uh, you, you know, you, you always hate to hear something like that. Um, you know, I, I, I have an immense amount of respect for, for Jason as, as a competitor with the way that he ran that race and the way that he carried himself before and after. Um, he, he ran an incredibly smart race. He, he ran, uh, strong. He, he kept me, um, kind of, kind of running on, running scared, uh, right, right until the end. Um, and the entire time he, he carried himself, um, very, very graciously to, to everyone I saw him interact with and, uh, including after the race. So, uh, really, uh, hate that for him, that, that he, uh, had to drop that that laid on but um you know for for me personally at that point when i learned that the next person is is 10 hours 10 plus hours behind me um, my my body just kind of shut down uh, this entire time it's been uh getting pushed on thinking that it's it's racing thinking that it has no other choice and and now it just it kind of says oh okay we, we don't we don't need to uh to do this anymore just uh just take it easy and, and get to the finish. Yeah, because I did actually put a post up on the official Spine Group Facebook page asking if anybody had any questions. Um, I was going to leave them to the end, but there's one here from, uh, it was Mark Caldwell, actually. Um, yeah. And he was in the hut, and he told him to ask him about the three cups of hot chocolate. He had two cups of water, um, noodles, two sleeps, before we had to kick him out of the hut <laughs> with seven miles to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i well that that's good i i couldn't remember how many cups uh <laughs> i had but i you know i got in there and just i i i didn't want to risk anything at that point i wanted to be sure that i was uh completely nice and warm and and had a um stomach foot full of calories to, to finish out the race and, and that I wouldn't run into issues just a, a few miles from the finish. Uh, there, there was a, uh, a very small part of me for a very brief moment that thought, well, you know, I could just go to sleep and wake up and do this in the sunlight. Um, but the, the, the bigger part of me also wanted to just get it done and, and get down and, and get in a real bed. Yeah. And you're in danger of being charged rent. I heard. <laughs> so <laughs> i i would have paid i would have paid good money for that rent yeah so it was quite a unique race i think one of the main reasons was because of storm brendan coming in and yeah. when i seen that moving in like and especially after the first day you know our eyes were peeled on that race because it was becoming such a tough and and it was really going to test the athletes that were on course. How were you feeling when you seen Brendan Storm coming in? Did you think that was going to play to your advantage? Uh, so generally, the, the more miserable the conditions, um, the the better I do relative to others. Um, 
So from a competitive standpoint, I, I, I always like to think that those, those kind of things are an opportunity for me. Um, but, you know, there's also, there were a number of people in the race that are obviously quite experienced with those types of conditions. Uh, so that was another reason, though, why um, starting out, I, I kind of pushed the pace a bit, um, was not only to, to test out my competition, uh, but also to, to make the best of uh, the conditions before Storm Brendan hit. Uh, and, and I remember the, the brunt of it hit when when we were going up to Tan Hill uh, and and it was just brutal wind sleet in my face just the, the kind of thing I, I'd never imagined um, and and then stepping into the uh, the Tan Hill Inn was just it, it was surreal it was like stepping across a, a threshold into a different world you're out here in these gale force winds with with sleet and then all of a sudden you're in a nice warm cozy pub with the patrons there cheering you on by the fire and uh it, it was uh it was, it was tempting to stay there for a while that's what i was gonna say then how did you prize yourself back out of the door well i i knew i had people hot on my tail uh ian actually arrived um just before i i left and uh he he refused to go into the room by the fire to stay for too long um, but but Ian also said that those were the worst conditions that he had ever seen, uh, and and for Ian to to say that, who I you know, he's done the race what five, five six times. Uh, that that was uh, that that was pretty big <laughs> to yeah. hear. Because I'm sure he would love those conditions as well, because he has his kit down to a T for those type of races. Like, yep. Um, I'm gonna knock on his yeah. door. So, um before I do the spine race and really get a real rundown on his kit. Like, um, but Ian did become a bit of a race, a risk during the race, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. So there for, for quite a while, it was, it was very much uh, a, a tortoise and hare dynamic. And, and I was on the wrong end of that. Uh, I would, I would kind of bolt out in front and then I would make some stupid navigational mistake, just some careless error. Uh, and, and he would be right there. And then I'd bolt out in front again and I'd make some wrong turn and he'd be right there. And, and so he was, he was always very much there um, in, in the back of my mind, just um, Mr. Consistency and Mr. Experience and, and knowing that if, if I messed up, if I, if I took a wrong turn, if I slept too, too long, if I slept too little, um, he, he was going to be there um, and, and make me pay for it. Yeah, so that obviously helped you as well, and it helped you stay focused on your actual race. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it was uh, it, it was pretty exciting, and in the end, just uh, adds so much more um, to the feeling of, of achievement from the race of, of having other guys out there like that that are are, are constantly uh, pushing me and and challenging the lead. What were you using for your navigation then? Uh, so I've, I've got a, a, a Garmin Forerunner 945 and, and had a, a GPS track on it. Um, it and it, it can show show maps with, uh, you know, yeah. it, it showed the trail most of the time. 
Um, my, my big error early on is I, I tried to put it in ultra track mode to conserve battery, which means that it only updates the GPS once every 60 seconds. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, that means I'd be 60 seconds in the wrong direction before I even knew it. Uh, so I, I that up later in the race and just made sure to, to charge more often. Yeah, I have a 945 myself, and sometimes you find yourself on the wrong side of the ditch. <laughs> you know, you're following, yep. you're following the track. That's quite an easy sort of error you can make. What about your clothes? And one thing I... Sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that that's especially a problem going through some of those sections with, with all the pastures, with the stone walls, with the, the barbed wire on top. That, you know, if, if you don't hit that wall in exactly yeah. the right spot where the style is, you're, you're kind of... <laughs> You, you, that's tough luck yeah you're wandering off course then until you try and try and find some way back um yeah. one thing i really struggle with is my feet and especially when it's like real boggy sort of thick mm -hmm. mud like there's quite big parts of the course are like that isn't it because you're almost pulling your foot up rather than pushing off and my feet yeah. can ache really badly How, what do you wear on your feet to try and protect from that or what uh, so I, I had um, Gore-Tex shoes with, with built-in gaiters, um, La Sportiva, Uragano, and, and Blizzard um, for the race, which, um, you know, even with the Gore-Tex, your, your feet are still going to get wet um, out there. Uh, you're, you're just constantly going through bogs and sop and, and mud, and, and even Gore-Tex will soak through uh, eventually. Um, but if nothing else, that, that helps keep your feet warm. Um, it's, it's a huge uh, added layer of insulation and can, can almost act like a wetsuit um, once there's a little bit of water inside, but it's still keeping most of the rest out. Um, inside that, uh, I, I normally on these types of things go with, with two pairs of socks, um, a, a pair of toe socks, uh, and then a, a pair of normal socks over top of that. Um, and so I've been working with a, uh, a startup uh, out of the U.S. for a few years now called Exoskin. That unfortunately, I don't think they, uh, they, they ship over here. Um, but it, it, has, it has worked quite well for me um, in, in preventing blisters and chafage. Yeah, that's just the question I was going to ask. And do you find the toe socks then are protecting your feet more so from blisters? Yeah, um, you, you know, it, it's it's not 100% foolproof, especially in these conditions. Um, but for me, it can uh, prevent a, a lot of issues where, you, you know, you're, you kind of get blisters on the inside of your toes from them rubbing up against each other. Yeah. Do you put anything on your foot, like Vaseline or anything like that? Um, so I've, I've got this stuff called Rungu um, that I've, I've been using for a while now. Uh, I'll, I'll put that on uh, before races or if I change socks. And, and sometimes I'll take some baby powder and put it down inside my uh, socks before I put them on. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really anecdotal. Um, as uh, It's kind of one of those things that I started doing it and... Uh, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, yeah. It's it's been for me, so I'm I'm gonna keep doing it. And um, how often did you change your socks then? Because is is there any point? Um, when 
when I napped, uh, I took my socks off to give my feet a little bit of a chance to dry out. Um, and so I went ahead and changed them then. Um, and I, I think I may have changed them one other stop uh, when I, I had the medics put a, a bit of tape on them. Yeah, because your feet are important, aren't they? They're one of the key things that you need to sort oh, of work yeah. out. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's, that's one of the funny things about races like this. That your your entire body um, can be feeling great and, and one little thing goes wrong with with your feet, whether it's a, a blister or, uh, you know, a, a rolled ankle or, or what have you, then 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 you're done. It's like having a Lamborghini with a flat tire. <laughs> That's a great way to explain it. Um, your leggings, then. Um, the tops, there's so many good coats out there. There's numerous good coats that can co- sort of hold the, the weather. Um, but one thing about the coats, I find the water just runs off them and then it becomes a struggle with your legs. What type of leggings were you wearing? Uh, so I, I had, uh, again, exoskin makes, uh, buggings that I, I wore most of the time, uh, just one layer, but, but some stretches I, I doubled up on those where, where it got colder. Um, and, and then I, I had a pair of, uh, waterproof trousers, um, but those, uh, got a nice rip in my shin very early in the race. And so, uh, weren't exactly waterproof from that point forward, but it still offered a, a, a bit of uh, wind and rain protection. Yeah. And how did your body cope then with the, because co- it got pretty cold, like in some of the clips that I'd seen um, during the race updates, like how was your body firing yeah. out with the temperature? Yeah, it, it, it did. Um, so I, I did pretty well. Um, probably the coldest was on that stretch going up to um, Tan Hill Inn, where the conditions mm-hmm. uh, deteriorated so rapidly, um, really, before I had a chance to, to add uh, ec- extra layers. Uh, there in the pub, I, I added everything that I had, and I was, I was fine the rest of the way uh, into Middleton. Um, but, but most of the time, I, I was, you know, I... As far as temperature goes, I, I like to say really there's no such thing as bad conditions. There's just uh, poor uh, clothing choices. Uh, and so I, I felt like I was equipped pretty well um, to, to handle okay. it, um, you know, as far as staying warm, but not, you've got to walk a fine line because obviously you don't want to start sweating. Yeah. Um, that's, that's dangerous for when you then slow down and suddenly get, get cold. It, it is something that I actually struggle with, you know, your base layer. Um, I don't know whether it's the right clothes or just the facts. I'm near six foot two, quite tall, taller people do sweat a lot, you know, during, um, mm-hmm. events. Um, but as soon as I stop, you know, you can become cold very, very quickly if you're, if you're sweating in oh, those yeah. conditions. Um, you have yep. to, you do have to carry, there's quite an extensive kit list, isn't there, for this race? Um, yep. Your sleeping bag and your um, your mat and your stove, etc. are those the sort of things that had to come out of the bag and be used? Or was there enough stops um, along the way? N- no, so I mean, not, not for me. Um, I, I had the big giant compartment on the back that was sort of my, here's the stuff that I have to carry, but I'm not going to use unless it's an emergency and my race is essentially over. 
Um, I did have to use the sleeping bag uh, when I nap at, at checkpoints. They didn't have like bedding or anything uh, that you could use. Um, but it, you know, it's it's still uh, it's still a big comfort to to know that that's yeah. there. Um, and and in those types of situations, like you said, if you have to stop, uh, your temperature drops uh, really quickly. Um, and so there were definitely even with the kit list there were stretches where I um, had more kit than, than what was required. Uh, and, y- you know, you, you want to also assume you, you want to be okay. Um, if you have to stop and you want to be okay, if you get wet, you, you know, you, of course you want to try to have some sort of waterproof shell. Um, but if that fails, if water gets in somehow, if you sweat, you, you know, you want to still be equipped to, to be able to deal with that. Yeah. How did your stomach fare out on a race that length? Uh, pretty well. Uh, so it, it actually did pretty well uh, up until that, that mountain rescue hut at the end uh, where I, I really filled my, my belly with, with all that hot chocolate and soup. And then um, once I had a full stomach, I, I took a pretty nice dose of caffeine to get myself the uh, rest of the way down. And and those two things combined um, left me pretty nauseous uh, on on that final stretch. Um, but, but otherwise, you know, I, I did well. I, I kept a, a nice uh, rate of, of calories um, without really kind of having to gorge myself too much at, at checkpoints or anything. Uh, and, and just kept a nice selection of, of stuff that I know uh, works from me based on past experience. Yeah, I was just going to say there's a lot of experience based there because at the minute, as I said, I'm pretty relatively new to ultra running and I, I'm a gober at the checkpoints. Like, And I can, I can come out of the checkpoint and I almost have to blow out a bit of black smoke <laughs> before I get going again. Um, yeah. And it has thrown a couple of races for me. Not that I've always finished, um, but there's a lot of pain involved in that, you know, when your stomach goes and in a long race like this, um, what type of foods are you sort of eating? And the more like solid type of food foods rather than sugary types. Um, so, I mean, I, I kind of, for these length thing, I have my normal sort of hammer nutrition, um, another company I work with that kind of provides the, the foundation um for for what i eat with with bars and, and gels and whatnot but then for something this length you're, you're never going to survive on on that type of stuff so um a, a whole lot of uh sort of non-engineered food um stuff that i is calorie dense that i can easily carry that won't get smashed and ruined in my pack uh, and that will give me a variety of options in terms of uh, savory and salty and sweet. Because uh, you, you never, your body gets pretty good at telling you which of those it needs. And for each of those, having a few options because you, you never know uh, which of them your body is going to randomly decide to hate or, or love uh, late in a race. So I, I had a quite a bit of sweets um, that I um imported back from the u.s after a new year's visit to to see my family uh and and then you know trail mix and and nuts and uh beef jerky and a number of of other things um that that i had on me and and then 
aid stations trying to supplement that with with again more solid and and hearty food like like pasta and porridge and and eggs yeah so really just listen to what your body's trying to tell you is a key thing. yeah that, that that can really take you a long way um and and remember to to eat at a to pace your eating um as as well as running you want to to keep the calories coming in at, at a steady rate um without having a, a stretch where you're starving yourself and uh without having a stretch uh where you're gorging yourself unless you're about to go down for a nap and that's maybe a good opportunity to to throw some extra calories uh down just before you do that did you plan your naps or were they just on feel uh, they were pretty well planned, um, but they were adapted uh, based on, on where my competition was. So I, I had originally planned uh, three hours at Middleton and an hour and a half at um, Bellingham, the, the final checkpoint, uh, and, and supplement as needed. And, and so I ended up getting a total of two and a half hours uh, at Middleton uh, with Ian then leaving right before me. And uh, a, a couple of short naps um over the the next bit uh and then at bellingham only i, I cut back to only about 45 minutes uh because uh, again i felt like that's the most that i could do and still get back out of the checkpoint ahead of jason so the last couple of miles of the race and you're coming into the finish line and obviously we kick, kissed the wall at the hotel um how was that for you like you looked in like you were a lot of pain at that stage. Yeah, and uh, that's that's definitely the case. I've uh, got, got to be completely honest. That those last seven miles, I, I wanted nothing more than for the the race to just be over. Um, other things of of that distance, you know, I've I've been able to to kind of savor the finish and and come in strong and and enjoy that. Um, on this one, just. Um, especially my, my feet, um, again, just things were hurting so much that uh, it was those last few miles were, were a huge slog. Uh, so it was a huge relief, um, to kiss the border wall and, and just took a, took a minute to, to be able to actually, uh, kind of relax and, and remind myself that it, it was over and I, I could, uh, enjoy the moment now. Yeah. What did you do after that then? So it was 13 hours later. There's a class video of you and Ian. Um, mm -hmm. So did you hang about at the end of the race to see a few people coming in? Uh, yeah. So, well, I, I hung around um, for for a bit that night, got got showered, got some uh, real food in me. They, they went out and got me some ice cream at, at midnight, which was uh, pr pr pretty incredible. Um, and uh, then had a room there at the border hotel and, and got a, a you know uh, again a, a bit of fitful sleep that night uh and hung around the next day as as long as i could um before i i needed you know i, I also just really wanted to get home to my family so i i was able to stick around for uh ian to finish um and uh then actually left right after um, Simon and Wooter came in uh, for, for joint third place. 
Yeah, but that was that was pretty cool though to see those guys coming in and for you then to give the medal to Ian. And like Ian yeah. it, it was pretty cool. Like Ian last year, um, so he claimed victory for the first male home. Mm-hmm. And I, I had I had to laugh this year when he said he was the first human to finish. Claiming <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that you were a superhero. Um, but it was quite yeah. a nice touch and it show it show really did show you you know really good sportsmanship and what the spine's all about as well because it's, it's great camaraderie along that race oh absolutely and you know we're we're definitely racing each other uh when we're, when we're out there and and we know that and it's uh it, it can can be fierce competition at, at times uh but there's there's great camaraderie in that and and great uh, mutual respect for each other. And, and, you know, once, once the race is over, uh, it's, uh, you know, no one I'd rather spend a a bit of time with uh, the people who were out there with me. How did you find the support on course? Uh, It was, it was great. Um, and it kind of seemed to pop up in, in the spots just, just where I needed it. Um, you know, it's uh, something that long. There's never going to be, you know, big cheering crowds the, the length of the race. But uh, some of my lowest spots, you know, there was a guy out there with his daughter beating a drum and, and handing out chocolate. And there was uh, another guy out there with his, his son handing out some some treats uh, just before uh, descending in, into Middleton. Um, and, and so the, these were at odd hours of the night uh in, in spots that could particularly uh be low for me um there there was a nice that they, they, they someone brought their dog out to greg's hut and uh, that gave me a, a pretty big lift um so uh as well as a few people that that i knew that had like supported me on the rounds uh that, that came out to to sleep uh along course so that that was uh that was just huge and, and incredibly uh, appreciated and, and uplifting yeah it's pretty awesome when a face appears that you weren't expecting isn't it um what do you what do you think was your biggest learning from that or your biggest mistake that if you're going to do it again that you would change it oh that's a tough one I, you know I, I this is one of the rare instances where i, I haven't played the what if game with myself um that i really set out i, I did what i set out to do um, and I'm, I'm quite content and, and happy with that. Uh, there, there were definitely some moments um, that could be better. The stretch along Hadrian's Wall was a, a, a pretty big low for me. I, I wish that I would have uh, maybe grabbed like 30 minutes of sleep at Alston before uh, at the fourth checkpoint before heading out on that. But again, I kind of let the, uh, the, my, my competitive uh, – side of my brain shrunk the intelligent part of my brain and uh just went back out there to, to stay in the lead uh but then then probably the biggest one is is just to not be so careless with navigation like again i i made i made a few pretty big errors and a lot of small ones that, that added up to quite a bit of time that just and and you, you know that's that's as much a part of the race as being able to run fast uh, is is to not make stupid navigational mistakes. And it's it's sections that it's not like it's difficult. Like coming out of checkpoint two, I just 
flat out went the wrong way and and started going back the way I came from. And then I, I messed up again once I corrected that. And it's almost like a false sense of security from having a GPS on my watch that I, I don't really need to pay attention to the route all that much when, when in fact I, I do. Um, so a, a bit more focus on that would, would definitely be uh, something if, if I did it again. Um, I've got one last tough question for you, I suppose. Um, how would you summarize um, the spine race in one sentence? Ooh. Oh, yeah. I told you it was tough. Um, a, a brutal, beautiful adventure. <laughs> you couldn't have put it better. Um, John, thanks very much. Uh, we're going to wrap it up with that. I know I stole a lot of your time this evening. Reading through your blog, I could have stole about 10 hours of your time this evening. Like You've had some <laughs> amazing achievements. Um, there's loads of podcasts out there on the likes of the Barclays and things like that. It was great getting an in-depth um dive and unpacking the the spine and especially the rounds as well love to see you doing the the grand round um that would be just a phenomenal achievement um hope you'd have another crack at it have you anything else planned for the rest of the year we're not going to see you in last one standing now in castle ward in a couple of weeks time no, 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 <laughs> won't be there um so yeah the, the grand round is uh Kind of the big thing I'm, I'm planning at the moment. Um, so, so looking to, to give that another go sometime this summer. John, that's excellent. Listen, I appreciate your time. Um, I am definitely going to look up registration for next year. It was great sportsmanship and it was a great race, uh, which made it a beautiful thing, as you say. Like So thanks very much. Hopefully we'll catch up soon. That would be great. Thank you. Enjoyed the chat. A brutal, beautiful adventure. Wow, what an event and what a race this year. John is an outstanding athlete and if he manages to complete the grand rounds, he will go down in history as one of the fittest men on the planet. Some super episodes on the podcast. So if you're tuning in for the first time, why not check out a few of our latest episodes? We had Lazarus Lake from the Barclay and Last One Standing, Damien Hall, Nikki Spinks, Maggie Goodrell, Ian Keith, just to name a few. And watch out for the exclusive 100th episode special with my most favorite ultra runner of all time, Courtney Duwala. It's going to be epic. Make sure you tune in and why not join us on our Facebook group page. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.